Okay, so the general, if we were to give a short overview of the last couple of weeks in this boundary series, we'd say that week one we looked at a collection of individual principles that pertain to boundaries. If a person was to choose to build better boundaries in their life, here are some of the things that we, we'd want to consider. The first among them that we're going to continue to emphasize because it is so profound in the way we look at our commitment to establish boundaries is that a person who is unwilling or unable to both establish and then defend boundaries has no identity. That if you're unwilling, incapable to establish boundaries, to maintain those boundaries, to defend those boundaries, then you are simply part of everything else and everything else is part of you. There are a number of other principles. If you didn't get the handout from week one, it's, it, there, I believe there's a few extras available. Last week we got into some specifics about if I were going to build an individual boundary, what would be some of the steps that I'd take to do that? And we talked about two different types of boundaries. We said there are internal boundaries and external boundaries. So for anyone who is here, apart from Vinny, who now has the notes out and is, is going to pretend that he remembers this, even though he's looking at his notes, for anybody but Vinny, what, what, are, some, what are some internal boundaries and what's their function and what are some external boundaries? That's what I thought. Okay, so internal boundaries are those things that keep me in check and from spilling out into the rest of the world. So the most easy one that most men can understand is, <clears throat> what do I do when I'm angry? How do I control that or not control that? Have I ever not had a good working functional internal boundary and because of that I spilled out negatively into the rest of the world? Now that can apply to more things than anger too. It can apply to greed, it can apply to, to lust, it can apply to... Well, it can apply to my intent to fix the rest of the world. Have you ever just bit off more than you can chew in terms of your desire to make everything else better? To fix your wife, to fix your kids, to fix the next door neighbor? If we don't have some sort of internal boundaries, we spill out into all kinds of places in all kinds of negative ways. But there's a second kind of internal boundary that's just as important. And that is when I don't have internal boundaries that prevent one area of my life from spilling over and taking control of all the other areas of my life. So for me that looks like not having a good work to personal life boundary. Wherein over a period of time there's work creep. And first work occupies 10 or 11 hours a day and then occupies 12 hours a day and pretty soon work occupies 15 hours a day. And I'm just talking about one of my boundary challenges. But what are some of the other ways that internal boundaries, absent or not defended, work in your life? Being offended by others. And what happens when you are offended by others? Give me an example of when you don't have the proper boundary in place. Uh, somebody doesn't show up for a meeting. I didn't matter, or our relationship didn't matter, whatever we're going to talk about didn't matter, when they just overslept, or something, something genuine happened. 
Oh, is there something personal going on here? I wasn't going to say anything now that he's here, but I thought, why not? Okay. Now, because you do have good internal boundaries, though, your anger is not going to spill over in negative ways, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this is personal. Remember I said that in order to gain anything from this, you're going to have to do the personal work of deciding where you might need to establish better boundaries. I think everyone needs to do continued work on maintaining both the internal boundaries that prevent you from spilling out into the rest of the world or, or those that prevent one area of your life from taking control over everything else. Okay, so the second kind of boundary, external boundaries, and what are they about? So one of the amazing things here is that I have hope. Even though you had no idea what the internal boundaries were, I actually, for some deluded reason, believe that you remembered something about the external boundaries and are ready to contribute. So what's an external boundary? There you go, Ron. Who says you're just a pretty face that comes here to eat donuts? Now. You say that? You know, he might be offended if he didn't have good internal boundaries. We're going to start working on these <laughs> Some, Sometime before the morning ends, we're likely to get serious for at least two minutes. Up until then, I guess it's okay. Alright, so an example of the need for external boundaries. Well, why don't you tell me, give me some examples from home life. Where's an external boundary between you and another member of your family necessary? The bathroom door. So this has devolved into that silliness again. Okay, maybe it is the bathroom door. Alright. Okay. Have you ever been at the beck and call of your kids? We, we referred to that in week one as you become nothing but the administrative assistant to your children, wherein your children's expectations become your will, as if you're the genie in the family. All right? What about boundaries between husband and wife? When I'm in my office, I, I prefer that no one interrupt me, so there's a boundary that my wife knows my kids know they can't interrupt me unless they do not for something. I'm waiting for a certain time. That's like it. Mornings were our fight every morning. You know, it started the day in the chaos just trying to get the kids out the door. And finally I said, enough is enough. 7.15 will be the time that if you're not downstairs dressed and ready to go, You've lost any privileges, screen time-wise, for that evening. It's changed everything. I don't argue. We just being able to set that boundary, which was they were start. You know, I'd get up, spend time in the Word, and then 
evolve into chaos. Okay, now, the example he just used is perfect because it illustrates another thing that we talked about last week. Don't be prepared to set a boundary unless you're prepared to enforce it. So when he said, okay, if you're not down, ready to go, whatever he said, by 7.15, I think it was in the morning, you've lost your privileges for the evening. These are obviously younger kids, I guess, at that time. Okay. So in the evening, things roll around. What are the kids going to do? Come on, we've had kids before. What are the kids going to do? Well, you weren't really serious about that, right? They, they pretend to have forgotten. Now, either they did forget, or they pretend to have forgotten. So what happens in the evening? Dad, that's not fair. Okay, so in the morning, I built the boundary. But in the evening, I have to enforce the boundary, which requires more energy. Remember what we said last week. In all probability, especially with children, the boundary that you place on them for your own sanity or for their protection is going to exact more of a toll on you than it does on them. You're going to have to be the one that has to develop a no muscle. Or, or a what? So that's kind of a tough one because it usually makes, like in my case, it usually makes me have to be a bad guy. Well, of so, course it does. So my wife will be like, yeah, it's okay. I've been good all day and try to relax it. And then the kids learn, okay, well, I can just break the rule in the morning and then if I beat good, I can just make up for it real quick. And then the rule is bad. <laughs> well, that was the boundary between my wife and I. So we got, a, I got a lockbox that has two codes. Devices go in the box. Mom's got a code, I've got a code. We have to agree to break the boundary to, for you to have it. Wow, that's a... We did that. We started it. And that evolved to they know they lost their time. And they've learned to self-respect. It's a privilege, not a punishment. You had a privilege. You chose not to honor it. We've lost that privilege. It's not me taking something away. That part of the learning process, though, is learning that you guys have got to be on the same team because they will play one against the other. I mean, that's that's what spies do. And they they play you know one side against the other. Sure. And this the funny thing about it is, is all of this talk about all this is exactly like politics and the military operations. Just like a castle. You couldn't spend time shooting arrows and fighting with a sword because you were too busy shoring up the wall. So you couldn't really. Get do what you were what you needed to do because you were too busy, you know, arguing over whether or not this defense needed to be in place and getting the proper shoring up in place. I mean, it really is. And when you're both on the same side, you say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about that. We need to shoot the guys outside first. Okay, I want to come back to what John said before it's lost. Because he said, well, if the kids are good during the day, then the wife gets a little bit flexible, and she's, and he said, and in the end, I'm made out to be the bad guy. That's an identity issue, isn't it? This is who I am. So the purpose for the boundary, and this is another one of the principles that we established, is don't set a boundary until you understand what it's for and believe that this is the best way to achieve the outcome. So if John establishes a boundary in the morning, if you do this or this or this, then you're going to lose this or this or this in the evening. He's got to believe that establishing that boundary is actually productive. That it's the best way to teach this end result that you want to teach. Or to establish in the future that this is going to be beneficial. And what happens if that keeps happening? That keeps happening where she just lets it go, he sets it, he lets it go, what ends up happening later on? 
Well, later on down the road, they've learned a lesson in the home that they're going to try to play out in the work world. Have you ever worked with someone who apparently had no boundaries at some previous time in their life? Have you ever worked alongside someone who thought that they could get away with certain things in the workplace? They had to have learned that somewhere, right? It was all learned behavior. Come back to that. Here's John. He's a dad. What is every dad's hope, apart from to raise great kids? Every dad hopes their kids are going to like them, right? It's no fun not to be liked. I mean, yes, sometimes it honestly is. But, but on most days, it's not fun not to be liked. And so John has to remember who he is, what his primary purposes are, and what the functional established goal of this boundary is. I have to constantly realign my boundaries with my wife so that we're not doing different things, so that we will have one singular boundary that we can clearly, both clearly explain to our kids. Well, John, let me help you with this. What you meant to say was, my wife and I must together realign our boundaries together, because it made it sound as if you were constantly ceding ground to your wife, and whereas in the morning you started out with an expansive territory, by evening time you were down to a postage stamp size thing because you were constantly realigning. Okay. But sometimes it's about what you're trying to accomplish other than just the boundary, right? It wasn't about them being downstairs by 715. It was about, it, you know, the, the heart of our home was beginning the day in chaos, and it trickled down, and then I'd be yelling, and then my wife would be yelling, and, and it, it would flow through into the evening. So what you're saying is at times like that, that saying on your hat was a lie. Life was not good. I didn't buy the hat because it was always true. <laughs> <laughs> Or one of the other principles that we established last week, and this is why it's good to have this kind of conversation because it gives a chance to flesh out principles that we've talked about. One of the other things was that you end up establishing compromises that just water down either person's objective. So his wife had an objective based on what she saw. He had an objective based on what he saw. We're going to give both of them the benefit of the doubt and say that both of them had a reasonable goal in mind. They just weren't pursuing it in the same way. And so when you water things down, you end up accomplishing nothing. Well, I, usually I have a choice. I can, like Ben mentioned earlier about being offended. I can either be offended because it seems like my wife and kids want to do whatever they want. I can just be like, fine, you know what? You want to follow my boundaries and you just want to do it your way. I, I can do that and easily just pull myself back. But instead, I can pursue coming up with a, a boundary that we can both agree on and, and really talk about what the goals are. And then that makes a huge difference because... Then my wife and I are, are lined up and our kids can learn the lessons that they need to learn. Yeah. And we can, we can talk about this for just a second and then actually we've got to get beyond review and get into something for the, new for today. 
But remember the gender differences that we've talked about before. A guy, if he can't find success in one area of life, he'll just go off into another area where he is successful. So we're going to assume that in his work life he's very successful. And so to say it in the most blunt terms possible, John, if he were the kind who would say it this way, would say, well, just screw it then. I'll go do what I'm really good at, and I'll focus on that. And if she thinks she knows better about it, let them deal with it. Now, none of us would say that, but, but there must be some men out there who would say that. You raise your hand, you would say that? My favorite place is in front of that big red box. I go away and I know what I'm doing. I do that. And then when I come home and it's time to deal with the kids, you know what I mean? I'm heavy handed or I'm you know, too, dis too disciplined or I'm too, you know, there's a reason for everything, there's this, and everything less. How close do you want to be? You know, I get overly. So in our house now, you have to say that I'm the good, part the hub. If they need nurturing because of something that happened during the day, it's her. If they've done something wrong and need to be told about it, that's me. You've already heard this, but and I had no intention of going here, but when Jim introduced the challenge the way he introduced it. I want to talk about something that I was just reading this past week. And it has to do with advanced training that Navy SEALs are given. And their objective is this, and they have an acronym. Let's see if this doesn't actually fit your home life. He said that a Navy SEAL must be able to function well in this situation, in a VUCA situation. Volatile. That means that there's liable to be something unexpected that is going to blow up or change at any given moment. Can you think about situations in your home life where there is emotional volatility? <laughs> okay, the next one is it's uncertain. Now, John works out of his home, I think, right? Is that right? Okay, but for a, for a dad who doesn't work out of his home, he goes away somewhere and then he comes back every night. Do you always know what you're going to walk in the door to? Have you ever walked in the door to a surprise? Have you ever walked in the door to, let's say that you had a wife that was at that moment a stay-at-home mom, or maybe she had a different work schedule? Have you ever walked into a firefight between your wife and kids? Or have you ever been called on to mediate the firefight that had been stopped by a truce? One group went to one room, another group went to another room, but both groups were looking for you to solve the problem. So you walked into uncertainty, and it was certainly volatile. All right, the next one. Let me just make sure. Yeah, here, complex. What does complex mean? There's no simple answer. You walk into the one room and you listen to the kid's story and you think, my wife's nuts. And then you walk into the wife and listen to her side and it's like, now nah, the kids are nuts. <laughs> but then you're stuck in the middle. What do you do? You're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and the final one, make sure I'm getting this right, yep, ambiguous. I'm sure if I spelled that right, but... 
Well, what's an ambiguous situation? It's one in which there may not be an easy answer in which you're going to have to... Wouldn't we like for most things in life to be black and white? It's so obvious that it's easy to decide. There's a phrase that John Maxwell used to use when it came to, to leadership challenges. I know I've used it here before, but it bears repeating on this situation. He said, most corporate executives in their everyday lives are making decisions that a middle schooler could make. The reason that corporate executives at the highest level get paid what they do is for the handful of extremely tough decisions that they have to make in a year. Now most of our parenting decisions, most of our work decisions are relatively manageable. If you, and I'm saying this laughingly, make the big bucks at work, you make the big bucks for the few things that you do that are complex where there is no easy answer, where there are multiple possibilities and where you might have to resign yourself to the fact that one decision is not going to yield a perfect answer. So we'll come back to the wife in one room, the kids in the other. It's complex. The ambiguity of it suggests that in the end, the wife is only going to be modestly happy, the children are only going to be modestly happy, and you're going to have to probably make the same decision again another day, because in another day you're going to walk into another volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous situation. It's even more complex, I'm married to that. I can walk into your house and make that decision like that. Oh, yeah. He's wrong, she's right, too bad you're around. Done. Right, and you'll go home to your house and I'll be left to deal with the consequences. Yeah. That's why you put It's like that. I can make that decision like this. But that one that's in trouble with the thing be my wife. Now I'm really stuck. And that decision's hard to make. All right. So this week the focus is kind of a little bit different. So we spent two weeks talking about boundaries themselves, what they are, how to establish them, how to, how to maintain them. Today we're going to talk about being the person who's qualified to make boundaries. What is it about you, about your nature, that allows you to make good boundaries or prevents you from making good boundaries? <clears throat> Before we get into that, there's a couple of things. We've already pretty well covered the internal boundaries. Here's a principle that we're going to look at. I'll just introduce it up front. It's buried somewhere down in one of the pages here. Every external boundary that you make is in some way connected to your desire to have a good relationship with something. So where there is no boundary, there is no relationship. Remember what we said, if you're not willing to draw a line between you and your wife, then either you will walk all over your wife, or your wife will walk all over you, or you will retreat to separate areas. So let's say that this represents some boundary that you've established. And we'll put wife over here, husband over here. Right now, if you don't draw a boundary, one of you can just push and push and push, or it can go the other way. Because you're not willing to respect the other person's boundary. Remember, one of the principles that we said in week one was if you're going to be a good boundary maker, you need to be a good boundary respecter. You can't just install your own boundaries without acknowledging and being willing to accept the boundaries of others. 
But here's the other possibility. And why boundaries make relationships possible. If this is the theoretical boundary line and people are wounded, what do they do? They retreat back from the boundary line into their own confined spaces. Remember the kids over here and the wife over there? What's happening at that time? In theory, there is no relationship because both have pulled back from the connecting point, which is the boundary line, and they're each living in their own world. So proper boundaries make relationship possible. Neither side overruns the other, but on the other hand, neither side retreats so that there's no connection with the other. So a skilled boundary maker is able to put lines in place that facilitate appropriate connection between both sides. So let's actually, Jim takes us down these trails. We'll just call them that, trails. But it was a good trail, so I think we can learn something from it. So let's take a look at an international diplomacy. All right, so it's been uh, front page news, I guess, that uh, our president was meeting with uh, the leader of China and they've had some discussion and all that. But what's necessary for good international diplomacy to take place? Because it's a matter of boundaries, isn't it? No, you can't occupy the entire South China Sea. Yes, you do have some issues to address with North Korea. Uh, yes, we do need to deal with, the, with certain financial trade imbalances. Okay, so those are boundaries that those two leaders are trying to work on. What's necessary? Now this is easy to look at, guys, because this is safe. You don't have any skin in that game, or not much, okay? You go home, you can apply this principle in your marriage or with your kids where you do have a lot more skin in the game and where the consequences to you are going to be greater. Okay, so when you're going to engage in some sort of international diplomacy, what do you need to do? Okay, so there have to be some rules. Okay, there may be compromise. I'm going to put it there and then we'll look at whether we need to reshuffle these in terms of order. All right, there need to be some goals. What about individual? Now remember, we've got two parties coming together. So there need to be rules of engagement. There might need to be compromises, which is why I say that probably needs to go further down. The goals would have to come first. Whose goals? See, each party has to come prepared for what they're hoping for or expecting for. What else? So Jim already talked about it. You must have missed it. I need to know what to expect from the other side. How do you feel when you walk in the door at 5.30 in the evening and you don't know what you're going to walk into? How do you feel when you were all happy in a great mood and it was going to be a good evening and you walk in and your wife has had a bad day? What changes in five minutes? Perspective, attitude, okay. Uh, isn't it helpful to know what to expect when you walk in the door? So the more, the more I know about the other party, the better prepared I am. Don't set a boundary, don't try to set a boundary in the work world until you understand something about the other person and how they're going to react. 
So where, where Jim really led us in a good direction was this. Know what to expect and when you're going to have the conversation. Okay, so... A neutral ground is helpful sometimes, right. However, however, you ever going out to a restaurant with your significant other because there were some things that needed to be discussed and, and you wanted a neutral ground to discuss them? And have you ever had a situation devolve in public? Huh? Oh, absolutely. But I need to understand as much as I possibly can about the other side before I begin to establish a boundary. So in a, in a parental situation, one child may respond one way to some restriction, another child may respond another way. So the same boundary in a family that works for one kid superbly may not work for another one to the same degree. What works with Vinny and his relationship with my, his wife may not work in my relationship with mine. So boundaries have to be set selectively according to the nature of the people that the boundary is being established with. Here's the other thing, and we'll talk about this in, in terms of the external relationship. I don't have time to read all this, so we'll just talk about it. It's my assumption that in many cases, when boundaries need to be pushed one way or another, Okay, so think about a family rule that you have, whatever it is. And we'll call that the present family rule. Now, the rule works well for you, but it doesn't work well for the others in the family. And so the others start to push, say, no, this is no good, we need this boundary moved over here. You, on the other hand, think the boundary is fine and it needs to stay right where it is. Both parties always expect that the other side has more flex and leeway than they do. When you're not satisfied with the condition in your present relationship with someone, remember we've said every boundary, external boundary, is an attempt to maintain a relationship or support a relationship. Why do I always assume that the other side has more flexibility than I do? Well, clearly I'm heavily invested in this, right? I have a don't you have a reason why you want the boundary line where it is? Whatever the boundary line is, whatever it keeps on one side and keeps you on the other side, don't you have a reason for it? Haven't you invested heavily in intellectually, logically, rationalizing why the boundary line needs to be precisely where it is? Sometimes. I think that's, that's a hopeful situation where we address and work on the boundary, but what I see more and more of is the other person just backs away, you know, or I back away. Which looks like the diagram that we said where both parties go back to a neutral area, and there is no, no relationship at the boundary line. So Vinny introduced another idea. I don't know if we'll ever get to the actual notes from today. But Vinny introduced another important idea. Know yourself. So whereas Jim described himself, his words not mine, as I'm just going to go kick the door down and we'll have this conversation right now, Vinny has sort of alluded to the fact that maybe rather than kick the door down, he just wouldn't even ever even knock on the door because he's so tired of the confrontation. Who are you? 
Are you by nature confrontational? So you're going to want to address this and address it now. Or are you by nature someone who is going to retreat and shrink back into his own territory? And as we said before, just say, well, screw it then. Let them do whatever they want. That's their problem. But you also sometimes have to take your own pulse first and go, am I in a situation, am I in a frame of mind right now that I can actually be rational and not be angry, emotional, whatever, you know, in engaging with this person? Yeah, so sometimes it's better to walk away from the situation than come back to it later. Or take it and say, look, we need to talk about this, but it's not good for either of us right now. Right. You're not in the right frame of mind. Things aren't going to get accomplished right now. Tomorrow, five hours, or whatever it takes. Yep. Okay. First page. Boundary makers and the boundaries that they make. I don't usually like to lead us into consideration of political things. It just seems to be needless controversy. But we're going to take a look for a, just a couple of moments at our current president. Now, I don't really care what you think of him. I don't want to know what you think of him. I'm sure that even in this small group, there are various opinions about him and his policies. Here's something I think we can agree on. The man has a collection of ideas that he would like to implement. The ideas, the we'll call them policies, represent the desires of some percentage of the population. We're not even going to argue about what percentage of the population that is. We're going to give the man the benefit of the doubt, and for some of you this is going to be a stretch, for others it'll be okay. We're going to give the man the benefit of the doubt and say that at least in his mind he believes that some of the policies that he wants to establish would be good for the country. Now let that represent you and some of the things that you would like to do in your home. What's the biggest thing that our current president faces as a challenge in terms of implementing policies? The other party. Oh, <laughs> well, we touched a button there. What else? His communication skills. Okay. And underlying that is this. People care, they want to know about the person who is setting the boundary as much as they want to know about the boundary itself. And if a person doesn't trust you, what's their underlying suspicion about any boundary that you're going to make? Just think about that. If the person doesn't trust you, what is their assumption about anything that you ask of them? That it's malicious. got false intentions or selfish pretensions or any of those any of those and many more until a person trusts you they're less likely to trust the boundary that you would like to establish conversely the more they trust you the more they are willing to abide by a boundary that they may not like now I, I want to say that it's been a long while since we could point to this specifically, but there are great leaders in our past who have had to ask the people of their countries to do incredibly demanding things. The people were willing to do it because they trusted the character of the leader that was asking them to do that. If you're unwilling to work on yourself, 
even if you have a good boundary, and if you're unwilling to project to the people that you have to have that boundary line with, that you are a trustworthy, a reliable, a predictable, a capable person, if you're not willing to invest as heavily in making sure that people understand your character as they do your boundary, you're going to have a hard time maintaining boundaries even if you set them. You see that in development of any boundary. The government, when they first started uh, taking taxes, people were happy to give to a government that they trusted and believed was going to take care of the people. Now, the the, a contributing factor. You weren't alive back when that when people were happy. Uh, and I, I know people <laughs> who were. So. Uh, but now people don't trust the government, and so every joke that's out there has a lot to do with the taxes and the, and the size of the government and the lack that the people have. But it didn't initially start like that. Okay. So, big point. Ask yourself. What is the other person's perception of me as a person before you start to establish a boundary? So think about that with the recent meeting between Trump and his contemporary from China. What do you think was the Chinese leader's perceptions about Donald Trump? What might any national leader's perceptions about Donald Trump be in advance of meeting with him? Okay, before we have any conversation, we're moving quickly out of the political realm. 